0: On Lying Awake at Night by Stuart Edward White. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On Lying Awake at Night. This is from The Forest, one of Stuart Edward White's many delightful volumes. A very large public has enjoyed Mr. White's writings. Many of his readers, perhaps, without accurately realizing how extraordinarily good they are. Mr. White was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, 1873, studied at the University of Michigan, has hunted big game in Africa, served as Major of Field Artillery, 1917 to 1918, and is a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society. His first book, The Westerners, was published in 1901. Since when they have followed regularly? who hath lain alone to hear the wild goose cry about once and so often you are due to lie awake at night why this is so i have never been able to discover it apparently comes from no predisposing uneasiness of indigestion no rashness in the matter of too much tea or tobacco no excitation of unusual incident or stimulating conversation in fact you turn in with the expectation of rather a good night's rest almost at once the little noises of the forest grow larger blend in the hollow bigness of the first drowse your thoughts drift idly back and forth between reality and dream when snap you are broad awake perhaps the reservoir of your vital forces is full to the overflow of a little waste or perhaps more subtly the great mother insists thus that you enter the temple of her larger mysteries for unlike mere insomnia Lying awake at night in the woods is pleasant, the eager, nervous straining for sleep gives way to a delicious indifference. You do not care. Your mind is cradled in an exquisite poppy suspension of judgment and of thought. Impressions slip vaguely into your consciousness and is vaguely out again. Sometimes they stand stark and naked for your inspection. Sometimes they lose themselves in the mist of half-sleep. Always they lay soft velvet fingers on the drowsy imagination, so that in their caressing you fill the vaster spaces from which they have come. Peaceful brooding your faculties receive. Hearing, sight, smell, all are preternaturally keen to whatever of sound and sight and wood's perfume is abroad through the night. And yet at the same time, active appreciation dozes, so these things lie on its sweet and cloying like fallen rose leaves. In such circumstances, you will hear what the voyagers call the voices of the rapids. Many people never hear them at all. They speak very soft and low, and distinct, beneath the steady roar and dashing, beneath even the lesser tinklings and gurglings, whose quality superimposes them over the louder sounds. They are like the tear forms swimming across the field of vision, which disappear so quickly when you concentrate your sight to look at them, and which reappear so magically when again. Your gaze turns vacant. In the stillness of your hazy half-consciousness they speak. When you bend your attention to listen, they are gone, and only the tumults and the tinklings remain. But in the moments of their audibility, they are very distinct, just as often an odor will wake all a vanished memory. So these voices, by the force of a large impressionism, suggest whole scenes. Far off are the cling, clang, cling of chimes, and the swell and fall murmur of a multitude en fête, fait, so that suddenly you feel the grey old town with its walls, the crowded marketplace, the decent peasant crowd, the booths, the mellow church building with its bells, the warm dust moted sun, or in the pauses between the swish-dash dashings of the waters sound faint and clear voices singing intermittently, calls, distant notes of laughter, as though many canoes were working against the current. Only the flotilla never gets any nearer, nor are the voices louder. The voyagers call these mist people the huntsmen, and look frightened. To each is his vision, according to his experience. The nations of the earth whisper to their exiled sons through the voices of the rapids. Curiously enough, by all reports, they suggest always peaceful scenes. A harvest field, a street fair, a Sunday morning in a cathedral town, careless travelers, never the turmoils and struggles. Perhaps this is the great mother's compensation in a harsh mode of life. Nothing is more fantastically unreal to tell about, nothing more concretely real to experience, than this under-note of the quick water, and when you do lie awake at night, it is always making its unobtrusive appeal. Gradually, its hypnotic spell works. The distant chimes ring louder and nearer as you cross the borderland of sleep, and then outside the tent, some little woods noise snaps the thread, an owl hoots a whippoorwill cries a twig cracks beneath the cautious prowl of some night creature at once the yellow sunlit french meadows puff away you are staring at the blurred image of the moon spraying through the texture of your tent the voices of the rapids have dropped into the background as have the dashing noises of the stream through the forest is a great silence but no stillness at all the whippoorwill swings down and up the short curve of his regular song over and over an owl says his rapid whoo 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 these with the ceaseless dash of the rapids are the web on which the night traces her more delicate embroideries of the unexpected distant crashes single and impressive stealthy footsteps near at hand the subdued scratching of claws a faint sniff 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 of inquiry the sun and clear tin horn co 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 oh of the little owl the mournful long-drawn-out cry of the loon instinct with the spirit of loneliness the ethereal call-note of the birds of passage high in the air a patter 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 among the dead leaves immediately stilled and then at the last from the thicket close at hand the beautiful silver purity of the white-throated sparrow the nightingale of the north trembling with ecstasy of beauty as though a shimmering moonbeam has turned to sound and all the while the blurred figure of the moon mounting to the ridge line of your tent these things combine subtly until at last the great silence of which they are a part overarches the night and draws you forth to contemplation no beverage is more grateful than the cup of spring water you drink at such a time no moment more refreshing than that in which you look about you at the darkened forest you have cast from you with the warm blanket the drowsiness of dreams a coolness physical and spiritual bathes you from head to foot. All your senses are keyed to the last vibrations. You hear the littler night prowlers. You glimpse the greater. A faint, searching wood's perfume of dampness greets your nostrils. And somehow, mysteriously, in a manner not to be understood, the forces of the world seem in suspense, as though a touch might crystallize infinite possibilities into infinite power and motion. But the touch lacks. The forces hover on the edge of action, unheeding the little noises in all humbleness and awe you are a dweller of the silent places at such a time you will meet with adventures one night we put fourteen inquisitive porcupines out of camp near MacGregor's bay i discovered in the large grass park of my campsite nine deer cropping the herbage like so many beautiful ghosts a friend tells me of a fawn that every night used to sleep outside his tent and within a foot of his head probably by way of protection against wolves Its mother had in all likelihood been killed. The instant my friend moved toward the tent opening, the little creature would disappear, and it was always gone by earliest daylight. Nocturnal bears in search of pork are not uncommon, but even though your interests meet nothing but the bats and the wood shadows and the stars, that few moments of the sleeping world forces any physical experience to be gained in no other way. You cannot know the night by sitting up. She will sit up with you only by coming into her presence from the borders of sleep can you meet her face to face in her intimate mood the night wind from the river or from the open spaces of the wilds chills you after a time you begin to think of your blankets in a few moments you roll yourself in their soft wool instantly it is morning and strange to say you have not to pay by going through the day unrefreshed you may feel like turning in at eight instead of nine and you may fall asleep with unusual promptitude, but your journey will begin clear-headedly, proceed springily, and end with much in reserve. No languor, no dull headache, no exhaustion, follows your experience. For this once, your two hours of sleep have been as effective as nine. End of On Lying Awake by Stuart Edward White's Read by April 6090, California, United States of America